Welcome to the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Vidala, and we're going to talk about music theory, lyric writing, creative productivity, inspiration, and more. I'm super excited to have you here, so let's dive into the episode. Hello, friend. So, I was thinking today, as I was um, working on recording... Uh, the EP that I'm working on this year. And I thought, you know what I would have really liked to know before is just seeing the entire process. Because there are phases I went through. There were the phase of like, I don't know anything about songwriting at all, but I'd like to learn to songwrite and record, and edit, and mix, and all that other stuff, all the way to releasing my music. Um, And that was when I was a young kid, right? And then I I sort of learned to songwrite over time. Uh, Started out being basically copying hymns and making my own lyrics to them, and then it evolved into writing my own music with my first, uh, what I would consider my first official song. Uh, I wrote my freshman year of high school. It was my first official... um, original song and but then there's a new process to sort of figure out okay okay so so how do I record and then after you figure out how to record it's well okay but how do I how do I how do I mix and how do I how do I edit what is editing um and then how do I record vocals and 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 what does that really look like and pitch correction who uses it is it necessary um, you know, and then how do I master it? How come my song doesn't sound as loud as, as the other songs? If I play my song and then another song on my, you know, back then like MP3 player, uh, why is one so much louder than the other? And I figured today for the podcast, I would sort of just peel back the curtain and we're going to go through, um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I want to give you an overview of like, before I even start writing a song all the way until releasing a song, sort of what that looks like realistically. Um, because I thought, Hey, that would have been helpful for me. Um, and it's kind of cool to know the process of things. And so I figured maybe you could benefit from, from hearing that. So again, I'm going to sort of go through these sort of quickly because there's certain parts of this I've, I've taken a deep dive in with previous podcasts and blogs. And I also want to make this an opportunity sort of for all of you that if you haven't sent me an email and asked me a question or, or asked me to dive deeper into a certain subject, you know, if there's something that I mentioned in this long list of things that you're like, oh, that, that thing, please tell me more about that thing. Um, this will be a great time um, because I'm going to go through a whole list of things. And if one of the things you want to hear more about, just shoot me an email and then uh, we can um, we can discuss it further. All right. So we're going to start with songwriting because this always starts with songwriting. Now, for me personally, um, I use many different songwriting orders. So there have been times that I came up with a lyrical idea and then developed an entire lyric before I wrote any music. I have had an entire 
entire songs worth of lyrics uh, before I wrote even a note for plenty of songs. On the other side, I have come up with um, entire melodies and chord progressions for a large portion of a short song or a guitar riff and some, some, some um, chord progressions that I knew I wanted to use uh, without any lyrics or even any idea what the song was about. There's been multiple times that I've written a piece of a song and then I just didn't know what to do with it for a couple years until I wrote another song and then I'm like, wait, this new song needs a bridge. And you know what would make a perfect bridge? This other song I wrote before, or this other part of a song I wrote before and pieced it together. So there's lots of different places that I've started from, um, but probably most often for me now is coming up with a lyrical idea or a theme that I want to talk about. And then I usually sit at the piano or the guitar, but um, I tend to gravitate to the piano more as I am a better pianist than I am a guitarist. I start at um, with the piano when I was like four or five, uh, I didn't start guitar until, I don't know, 10 or something. Um, and piano is very much my, uh, my go-to, um, depends on the genre a little bit. Certainly for rock music, I, I might go to the electric guitar, but, um, for a lot of my stuff, I'll, I'll gravitate to the, to the piano. And there's multiple reasons for that. One is that a piano is a great place to sort of come up with a melody and a chord progression. Uh, with the guitar, it's a little harder to do that. Um, now if you're a really proficient guitarist, maybe not, but for me, uh, looking at the keys and, and sort of just improvising, uh, over a chord progression is very easy for me. That's, um, that's sort of where I'm most comfortable. So that's often what the songwriting process will look like. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I will just be improvising and come up with a melody with the piano so that will end up being a vocal melody. Uh, and that will be the foundation of the rest of the song. I'll figure out the chords from there. I'll figure out the piano riff from there. Or sometimes, uh, maybe even most often, I'll sort of just play play around on the piano and I'll come up with a riff that I like. Um, so if you, if you notice, for most of my piano songs, um, it's pretty rarely um, chords, and especially block chords. Uh, it's usually built around sort of a, a riff, a little sort of memorable piano part, uh, especially in the verses. And that's why, because that's often where I start. And for the guitar, often it starts with me just playing around on the guitar. You know, sometimes doing um, picking and sometimes doing just just chords. Sometimes I'll get the capo out, because sometimes if you, if you just like change the key that it's in and just play, you know what's essentially a G chord, but capo seven, it sounds so fundamentally different at that point, sort of, that it can inspire you differently. Um, and then trying to do different keys. It's easy as a guitarist to kind of gravitate back to the key of E and G because they're very easy to play on the guitar, but sometimes forcing yourself out of that comfort zone is good. Um, so for the songwriting, it's, us it's usually a lot of of trial and error. You know, I might come up with a piano riff I really like, and then uh, often what I'll do actually is, is I'll record that piano riff on my computer, and then I will just loop it. And then I will either sing random stuff over the top of it, or I will play it, and then I'll get back on the piano, or back on my keyboard in this case, and just sort of 
play a melody on top. That way I'm not worrying about like, you know, here's the riff. I already have established the riff and I can just concentrate on, all right, let's figure out a good melody on top of it. Um, cause if I just sort of sing along to it and f- go with the first melody I come up with, it might not be a very memorable melody. It's a little easier sometimes to make a sweet melody when I'm playing the piano. Um, so that's, that's often how that will look like. And then, and then often from there, uh, that will be where I sort of develop the lyric. Cause I already have probably an idea of what the song is about at that point. Um, it's pretty often that I have a long list of song themes and lyrical ideas. Um, and then as I sort of come up with the piano riff and maybe even the melody, I'll go through that list and be like, does this fit with anything? Um, because I'm definitely a big believer that the song tone needs to match the lyrical idea to the point that if you could just hear the music with none of the lyrics, you should still be able to figure out more or less what it's about. Uh, you know, not, maybe, maybe not super specifically, but you should more or less know like, Hey, this sounds like a sort of sad song about loss. You know, it might be losing your mom or losing a, a, a lover, but you know, just being able to sort of get an idea of the tone of it is important. So anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on the songwriting. Uh, I've done lots of podcasts on that and I will do plenty more in the future. So the next step is recording. And so at this point, I have the song fully written. Now, what do I mean by song fully written? I mean that at least for one instrument, I have it written to the point that I could get up on stage and play either the piano or the guitar while singing the song. Right? So that's the f- the song is fully written because I have the chord progressions or the, you know, the chords, the music behind the song. I have the melody and I have the lyric, and that's what a song is, is those three parts. So I have that, but I probably don't know exactly what the tempo is, because when I'm songwriting, I'm not really bothering to play to a click track, because I'm just trying to figure out the song. So the first step for recording for me is figuring out the tempo of the song. So I'll often try to figure out a tempo that's pretty close, where I can play the song and I'm like, yeah, this feels about right. And then from there, I'm going to go up and down. So say, for example, a lot of my songs tend to be around 120 beats per minute. Um, so say, for example, I'll start at 120 and I think to myself, hmm, I feel like the song's dragging a little bit. So I might try 124, usually go up by uh, up and down by four. Um, usually you want the tempo to be an interval of four. It really doesn't have to be, um, but it's a good place to start. So if I think at 120, it's dragging a little bit, I'll go up to 124. And I'm like, oh, okay, this, this, this feels right, I think. And, and then I might go up to 128. And then I'd be like, oh, this, this kind of doesn't feel too bad either. But then I go up to 132, and then I'm like, okay, now I feel like it's rushed. So at this point, I know, okay, 120 seems to drag, and 132 seems rushed. So it's probably something in between. So then I sort of experiment until... I get to the point that I'm like, okay, I like this. And tip here, often, especially if you play to the same tempo over and over and over again um, in a single night, uh, you may grow to be like, oh yeah, I think this feels right. Always, 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 ne- never make this decision in, in one day. Come back to it the next day. If the next day, starting fresh, you do, say you landed on 128 beats per minute the night before, Try it. And then if it feels rushed now, then 
you know, maybe you just got used to it and it is a little rush. So maybe 124 is more what you need. So uh, don't don't make that that choice lightly. Um, also, because for the most, unless you're recording electronic music, you know, once you record an acoustic guitar or something, you can't just change the tempo of the song and like you'll have to re-record all of the acoustic instruments, all of the vocals, all of that. And it's important too. Make sure it's not just comfortable playing the instrument to this tempo, but that singing to the tempo feels right. It doesn't feel rushed. Doesn't feel like it's dragging either. It feels just right. Um, and and don't 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 skip out on this. Like this is very important because there's definitely. I mean, I mean, to this day, the first song I recorded with my my old band Highland, I regret the fact that I was stupid enough to have tempo changes. Terrible. Like there's some songs on there that I really love. But the tempo change just ruined the song. Just ruined the song. And I'll probably record them again at some point just just to fix that. Um, I think I'm a better, much better songwriter now, so most of the new stuff I write I think is much better. Um, but slowly over time, I'm probably going to readjust some of those old songs and, and redo them. Uh, some I was smart enough to not have a tempo change. But um, regardless, sometimes with the tempo change, more what the problem was was that I didn't... I didn't you know, the verses dragged a little bit and the chorus was a little too fast. Really, I needed to find something in the middle and that, that would have been right for both the chorus and the bridge and the verses. Uh, so make sure you you don't cheat on that. And also, some people do not like playing to a click track. I don't either. And I often have, but I found a nice little hack to, at least for me, help me play better when I'm recording, which is to create a very simple drum beat using just a synth drum um, and quickly recording, like kick, snare, snare, kick, snare, snare for, for uh, you know, a 3-4, or kick, snare, kick, snare for a 4-4, four, four. or something that, that fits the, the sort of rhythm of, say, the guitar part or the piano part that you're about to play. Um, so something not so straightforward, but it sounds like, you know, to some extent, real drums. Cause a click track is just, it's so unlike anything you'll ever play with. So sometimes it helps to sort of record the drum beat. It's a little more realistic to what you're, what you would play live. So that can be very helpful. And then what I always start with is I record what I call the main instrument and the main instrument most of the time is going to be the instrument that you wrote the song on. I like to to say that the main instrument, the way to think of this is if you, even if you're a part of a band, the main instrument is the instrument that you are going to go up and do an acoustic set, or you're just going to do this song acoustically, what are you playing? If it's just you and your guitar, the guitar is the main instrument. If it's just you at the piano, the piano is probably the main instrument. So that's what the main instrument is. And that's the first thing that you want to record, most of the time at least. And then from here, it's all arranging. So the last podcast was on arranging, so be sure to check that out. I'm going to do more stuff on arranging because I feel like of, of all the th- the different subjects I want to talk about on this podcast, um, if, if there's one that I have neglected thus far, it's arranging. So don't worry, there'll be more on that. But um, So I'm not going to go too deep into arranging and everything that goes into it. But for the most part, I'm going to do the body instruments first. Body instruments are what I consider like power chords and lead guitar parts, bass, drums, body. Think of body instruments as the instruments that if you were to play live with your band, these are the parts that would be played. You know, you're going to have your electric guitarist probably play power chords in the chorus. 
that's part of the body. It's in, integral to, it's in, imperative for the song um, to, to really feel like the song. Uh, or the lead guitar, you know, the lead riff that's in the verses. Um, the bass, you know, the, like when you play live, there's going to be the bass. That's absolutely going to be there. The, the drums are going to be there. So those are the body instruments. N and next is filler instruments. These are often mostly guitars and sometimes synths, can be pianos too, um, or, or violins. There's tons of things this could be. But think of filler, filler instruments as things to sort of fill in the mix. They're usually simpler parts, and they're parts that shouldn't stick out too much because they're something that you should be able to not play live and it not really matter. Nobody's going to miss it, you know, because the lead guitar, if, 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 you know, there's a lead guitar part, that's something that people are probably going to notice and they're going to want to hear that live. So that's not going to be a filler instrument. A filler instrument is going to be that random guitar part that's just basic arpeggios or something that nobody's really going to miss compared to the power chords, where if there were no power chords live, that would probably, it would feel empty. So that's sort of what um, <clears throat> filler instruments are. And then also the the third part I like to think about is atmospheres. Um, so to me, filler instruments and atmospheres is what really separates um, professional sounding recordings and novice sounding recordings, besides how good the mix is and all that. Um, filler instruments and atmospheres are often missing from, you know, your local band's recording because they just recorded the power chords and the main guitar part and the lead guitar and the bass and the drums and the vocal and called it a day. And so, so if you ever listen to, you know, say a local band's CD or something and you're like, what is it about this that like the recording quality is really good, but why does it just sound novice? And I have found that I think the answer to that is the lack of filler instruments and atmospheres. Um, <clears throat> now, it's probably because partially studio time, they can't afford to do that or whatever. But if you're recording at home, that's not a problem. You can spend as much time as you'd like. So what atmospheres are is it's atmospheric, right? It's sort of a background mass of sound without any real rhythm. Uh, so filler instruments are usually going to have a pretty clear rhythm still, even if it's often a... Uh, uh, you know, something that's not supposed to stick out, so it's often very simple. Um, but atmospheres sort of are almost like a just atmosphere behind the entire song that's often very reverby or echoey, and it's sort of just a massive sound that sort of sits below the, the mix. It's the kind of thing that you might not notice it's there until you take it away, and then maybe you would notice. Um, just sort of doubling down on that filler thing where filler instruments are instruments you can still pick out what the instruments are so you usually can be like oh i think there's a guitar part to the far left that's doing arpeggios um but they're not super important they're not something that anybody would miss if you didn't play them live atmospheres is like even more so that way to the point that like you might be like oh this is just sort of sound there's just extra sound, reverby sound. You can't really pick out whether it's a guitar or a piano or a synth. You you might not really know that, but it's there and it helps to fill in the mix and sort of give it that professional sound. So I make sure to do filler and atmospheres to uh, try to make my my stuff sound more professional, especially considering I am still um, sort of a beginner in the in the mixing part of things. Um, but working on it. 
So anyway, next part is editing. So we've recorded everything and now we edit. I often like to edit parts sort of as I record them. So if I record, you know, the power chords for a, the chorus before I move on to the lead of the chorus, I'm probably going to edit the power chords. That way, when I'm playing the lead part, I'm playing it to a uh, uh, close to perfectly in rhythm uh, power chord part. Because if my power chords are slightly off rhythm, you know, they're not, nobody ever plays anything perfectly. Uh, that's what editing is for. Editing is basically sort of moving the notes, pushing them a little left or right. If you're a little early, you can push it so that it's not early. Uh, if it's a little late, you can sort of make it not late. That's basically what editing is. Uh, so that's why everything sounds so tight in a professional recording. You think, wow, nobody plays that perfectly. Yeah, you're right. Nobody does play that perfectly. That's what editing is for. Um, so I, I often will edit a part before I, I record the next part, um, just so that, in theory, as I record more parts and then edit them, I will play the next part even better because I will have now a perfectly in rhythm or very close to perfectly in rhythm, you know, piano part and a couple guitar parts. So now when I'm playing the new guitar part, since I have a whole mass of song um, and music that's basically perfectly in rhythm, it will be easier to play it right in rhythm. So that's often how I do that. And then mixing. Mixing is um, usually takes about four hours or so. You EQ first, which EQ is basically, for the most part, you take away the high or low parts of uh, instrument that you don't need. So, for example, a, a vocal doesn't need the really bass tones. Only the bass guitar sort of needs those real bass tones to fill in the mix. The vocal doesn't need that, so you sort of cut out the low end. It needs a little bit of mid-low end to give it richness and body, but but the vocal, you know, nothing around 20 hertz do you want for the vocal. It will just sound muddy. That's sort of what EQ is. Compression is basically um, making the volume levels uh, throughout a part the same, which is why, you know, if, 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 you th if you think about a song that you know where the lead singer p sings really low and then they sing really high, and you think, oh, well, one of those, if I heard him sing, would be pretty low in volume, and the other one really high in volume. But in the song, it sort of feels all the same. It's sort of all the same volume, even though you can tell he's singing a lot louder and belting in the chorus, but, and then in the verse, he's sort of dialed it back, and he's it's more personal sounding. It's still technically the volume's about the same. That's what compression is. Um, and then some delays and reverbs, so sort of echoey effects to sort of bring everything together. So that's mixing. And then after I've, I like to mix most of the song before I record the vocals. Cause I like to record the vocals to something that's already an almost finished product and then do the vocals on top of that. And from there, um, from there you edit the vocals. So basically I'll go say, I usually do eight takes. I'll do eight takes of the vocals. And then I'll go through each of the takes and I will just delete the parts that I didn't do very well. So if I messed up a lyric or if I lost the pitch for a certain word or something, I'll just delete that part. So then I will have eight takes with only the, what I considered acceptable parts remaining. From there, I will do what they call vocal comping, which is basically you take different 
parts of vocals and put them together. You take the best parts. So the reason I do eight is because I can go from eight to four to two to one. So often I'll take the top two vocals and I'll comp those together. And then the third and fourth vocal and comp those together. And then fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth. So then I'll take those eight vocals in total, and now they'll be down to four vocals, where I took the best parts of each of the two next to each other. So between the first and the second vocal, I will comp those into a single vocal take, where I took the better parts of each. So I'll listen to the first line, how I sang it in take one, how I sang it in take two, and I will take whichever one is better. So I'll do that from eight to four, and then I take the top two of the four remaining and comp those together, and in the bottom two of the of the four remaining. So then I'll have only two vocal takes. And at this point, it's, it's, if you were to think of it like a tournament, both of these have won twice, whatever, whatever is left of these vocals have won twice, um, to get to these final two vocal takes. And that's when I'll do the pitch correction because it's a waste of time to do pitch correction before then. You want to make sure you get good vocals because, uh, depending on what you're doing for pitch correction, it can take time, um, right now I'm using something where I literally, um, sort of manually do it. Um, although I, I will probably look to get auto-tune instead because auto-tune has gotten so good at sounding very natural and it's so much easier. And that is the professional standard. Now, before you get all freaked out, everybody does pitch correction. It's not as magical as you think. If you even move it, like you can't just change the note somebody sings like that. It sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. It's really obvious when that happens. People think it's this magical thing that's cheating. It's not. In theory, it's like everything else you're doing with mixing and with editing. It's just takes that 95% really good take and brings it to that 99%. It should just make it that little bit better, sort of cleans it up a little bit. And that's sort of the purpose of that. It shouldn't, um, it shouldn't be making any huge difference. And for the most part, you can't really make a huge difference. It just sounds bad and everybody will know. Um, and there's this big misconception out there that you can just totally change what it sounds like. And that's just not really true. I mean, you can, you can do some things, I guess, if you're really good at it for the professionals. Um, but for the most part, um, Whatever the person's saying is dangerously close to the final product, even after pitch correction. It's not magical. You need a good take. You really do. Um, so uh, from there, I will then mix the vocals into that mostly mixed song. So I already basically have a mixed song, and then I did all this all this work on the vocal. You know, going from eight takes all the way down to the one, the one take that's now pitch corrected, and it's you know it's quote unquote perfect. It's not perfect, obviously still, but you know, it's, it's, it's the elite take. Um, and so now, and then I'll do the mixing on that. So now I'll do the EQ and the compression and the delays and reverbs. And I'll add side tracks of, you know, maybe in the chorus, I'll, I'll like double my vocal. So it sounds bigger, stuff like that. And then there's a process that I call sweetening, uh, and it, or I should say is known as sweetening. It's not, it's not my term. Uh, so sweetening is sort of, 
going through and figuring out what's missing and then adding those things. So sometimes you might be like, hmm, I sort of get bored at the end of the second verse. It feels like there needs to be something new in there. So you might record an, a new little part to sort of keep it interesting. Um, so sweetening is, to me, a two-part phase. One is figuring out if you need to add more instruments. You know, you thought you were done. Uh, you have all the main instruments. You have a lot of filler instruments and atmospheres. But it still might need a little bit more. Or maybe less. Maybe you need to take stuff away. Um, and that's sort of what sweetening part one is. Is figuring out, like, oh man, this second verse feels empty. This bridge. I think it needs another guitar. I think I think it needs a violin part. Um and then the second part is adding extra effects. So for the first mixing phase, it's mostly just EQ, compression, and then maybe some delays and reverbs, but pretty basic stuff. But uh, in the sweetening phase might be when like you think, okay, I like the chorus vocal, but it doesn't sound as harsh as I want it to. So maybe you double it and put a heavy distortion, maybe even like you know a tube amp guitar distortion on that second vocal and you sort of mix it into the first vocal a little bit just to give it that little extra drive or maybe you put a little bit of a phaser on a on a vocal part to sort of make it sound a little more wonky or or maybe a phaser on you know a guitar or a violin or some other different effects um effects that aren't so much to clean up the mix as much as they are to add intrigue, to add interest. Um, and that's part of sweetening to me. Or, or um, often this is where you might do some, some volume edits. You might be like, okay, this guitar part I think needs to like increase in volume slowly over time and um, sort of over the course of a verse to sort of slightly just add that excitement as it goes on. Little stuff like that. So sweetening... The difference between pre-sweetening and post-sweetening should be subtle and yet sort of profound. So it should it should be something else that all of these changes are very subtle and yet when they all come together, it's 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 profound and really helps make the song better or the recording better. Um, so then at this point, you're left with mastering. Um, mastering is something that people are often very confused by, um, understandably, but really what mastering is, is for mixing, we're working on individual tracks. So for mixing, you know, you, you edit, you know, you put EQ and compression and delays and reverbs on an individual track. You put it on the vocal take, you put it on guitar two, you put it on violin three, you put it on the kick drum or the snare drum, uh, specific tracks. Uh, for mixing mastering is then you take the whole track you know the whole the whole the song as a whole and now you're working on the song as a whole instead of on individual tracks you don't have the individual tracks anymore you've what's called rendering or bouncing you've bounced the whole song so now you have a wave file of the whole song sort of like you know an mp3 of a song except it hasn't been mastered yet so from here you usually put a little bit of eq maybe take some mids out increase the highs to make it clearer, you know, so for the most part it should sound good, but, and not need too much EQ, but this EQ is to sort of clean it up that little bit more and then 
this is where you're comp compressing and maybe compressing again and compressing again and putting a limiter on to get that volume level to be the industry standard volume because your original mix is probably not going to be as loud as that pop song and then your favorite rock song and all of those other songs so that, you know, when you're playing your music from your phone, all of those songs are like the same level, right? Like, it's not like you need to turn the volume up at the beginning of songs and then turn it down. And then there's a new song, so you have to turn the volume down and up. Like, for the most part, for a modern day song, they're all about the same volume. You don't have to adjust the volume constantly when you're listening. And that's what mastering's, uh, that last part is for, is to get the volume right. Um, so that, you know, it, it, it's, you don't have to turn, turn the radio up when, when it comes to your song. Uh, there's a little bit more to mastering often, especially if you're, um, if you're recording a whole CD or something like that, where mastering is sort of the part where you take all the tracks together and you sort of make sure they all feel like the same album. So if, you know, one track has a lot of highs and then another one has a lot of lows, but the highs are kind of drowned out. Like you don't really want that. You kind of want it all to sort of sound like it's all in the same vein. Uh, so that's another part of mastering, but, um, honestly for me and for most novices, mastering is a really simple step, an hour tops. Um, just, there's not much to do there. Um, and then the final step is releasing your song. So at this point you have your fully mastered song. It's done. You might want to make it an MP3 or keep it as a wave file. And then you can just put it up on SoundCloud, make a SoundCloud account, put it up and it's there and people can listen to it. You can turn on the ability to let people download it. Um, or if you want to get on Spotify or iTunes, you can use something like CD baby where you can, um, I forget how much it is. It might even be free. I'm not sure. Um, but you create an account, you upload the songs, you say, yep, these are my songs. And then you sort of let CD baby publish them to all the different places online, like Spotify or Amazon music and stuff like that. Um, the catch there is if you have CD baby, do it, they count as the distributor quote unquote. Um, so they basically take 50% of the money. Um, so if you sell a song, whatever money you would normally make from that CD baby gets half and you get half. Um, which is why I just created my, my own sort of publishing company, if you will. Um, and I actually took my old Highland album off of CD Baby because I, I didn't really want to do it through them. I figure, okay, I'll make my own publishing company because I'm in this for the long haul. Um, and at some point, I'd like to do other people's music too. And uh, so I'm going to do it myself. Um, so you can do that as well. You can, you can go to uh, a website to create yourself an LLC or in my case, I did a, like doing business as, I believe it's called DBA, um, where you're basically saying, Hey, look, I'm, uh, this is my business. Um, and it, it costs about nothing. I think it's like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks and it takes almost no time. So you can do that, uh, which will allow you to release your own music. Cause I think Spotify just opened up so that, um, you don't have to go through a CD baby or some other distributor like that in order to release music, or if not, they're going to be coming out with that. So I know this was a longer podcast, but I hope this was, this was helpful to you. And again, I want to reiterate, um, shoot me an email or, 
um, tweet at me at Joseph N. Vidala. Um, reach out to me if you have any questions on any of this, or if there's a part of this that you were really interested in that you'd like me to do a whole podcast and blog just specifically on that. Like if you're like, okay, filler instruments, can you really get into what that is or editing? What, what really is editing or, or pitch correction or, you know, something about songwriting or mastering, whatever it is. Uh, let me know and I will be happy to talk about it. Thanks for listening to the songwriter theory podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. If you want to jumpstart your songwriting, be sure to download my free guide on 10 proven ways to start writing a song at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Whether you're brand new to songwriting or a seasoned vet, this guide will help you to avoid staring at a blank page wondering where to start. Even if you just want to figure out some different ways to start writing a song, this free guide is for you.